I was specifically tasked looking for things that had to do with automotive parts. And you could find everything from uh, counterfeit tires to counterfeit rims to counterfeit airbags, uh, suspension systems, brakes, fuel systems, anything that's manufactured for an automobile can be and was counterfeited. Uh, when you're out there and you're getting ready to do the operation, every raid or every search warrant, you can't be routine. There's a danger involved. The person behind that door, you just don't know how his day is going that day or, or is he involved in other crimes that you don't know about. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Toyota Untold. Today, we are gonna be talking about brand protection. But for the purpose of today's conversation, what we really mean here is counterfeit parts. So pretty much any product today, whether it's makeup or automotive parts, is subject to counterfeiting. And the internet makes it really easy to sell fakes to unsuspecting customers. Here at Toyota, we take the threat of counterfeiting very seriously. It's of the utmost importance for the customer safety so seriously that we work with Homeland Security and other government agencies to chase down the bad actors responsible for producing imitation auto parts. One note before we start. At Toyota, we love an acronym. There is one for literally every move you make here. So in this episode, you're going to hear us refer to OEMs. That stands for Original Equipment Manufacturers or what the world calls car companies, automakers, etc. You get the drift. All right. So on to the dark underworld of counterfeiting. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people don't know about. It's definitely something I didn't know about until we scheduled this interview. And that is on the topic of brand protection for Toyota and counterfeit parts. Same, Kelsey. I'm so excited to talk to these people today. We have Joe and Tina from our brand protection group, which I didn't know really existed. If you can explain what you do every day, just so people can kind of get the lay of the land of what brand protection is. Sure. I'm Joe Camiso. I'm brand protection manager. I work in the service parts division. And our job primarily is two components, uh, fighting counterfeit auto parts and also gray market parts. But I think this discussion will focus on the counterfeit stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm Tina Bohai, and I'm the senior brand protection analyst uh, in Toyota's brand protection department. And my job is to coordinate all of those activities. So we do a lot of online marketplace monitoring, and we take action when we see infringements there. We work with our legal group when we want to take civil action, um, and they also do some online monitoring as well for web domain infringement. Mm -hmm. And then we work with law enforcement very closely because once we find somebody that is doing something illegal, you know, we want to take every action that we can. So let's start at the beginning Let's define what's a counterfeit part and what does that mean for the average consumer? Good question. So a counterfeit part is a part that is produced without Toyota's authorization. um, And the producer of that part applies our trademark. So we have several protected trademarks Mm -hmm. uh, that can be used. The Toyota T uh, is a big one, the Lexus L, as well as uh, a number of model names. And they're just not authorized to to do that. And we uh, don't like it when they do. So that, that's a counterfeit part. How was this all kind of founded that like, oh man, we need people actually on the case? Well, I think we started realizing that there was more and more of a problem out there. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part over the years, automakers have been kind of hesitant to accept the fact or acknowledge the fact that there's a problem. But with the advent of e-commerce, it kind of brought the whole thing to light. We've learned 
uh, and I think it's fair to say that people aren't going out and looking for a counterfeit part. Right. Right. They're looking for a genuine Toyota part or a genuine Lexus part that's cheaper than they can buy it at the dealer. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of those people install them, you know, on their vehicles themselves, but We've found uh, that increasingly the independent repair facilities are also buying these parts online. And they're unsuspecting consumers also because they don't, nobody really understands the proliferation of these things. So how, aside from something going wrong in your car, taking it in and, and you know, having somebody look at it and say, wow, this part was completely wrong. How are these people finding out that their parts are counterfeit? Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people don't find out, right? They buy a part, let's just say a spark plug. They install it in their car. They buy a set of spark plugs and install them in their car and they fail prematurely. Mm -hmm. They thought they bought Toyota product right. that failed prematurely. Now in their mind, there's damage to the Toyota brand. They may never know that those parts were counterfeit. So what would your message be to auto body shops, independent garages, and do-it-yourselfers so that they can protect themselves against this? Know the source of your parts. Know where you're getting them from. If you're buying them from an unknown third party online, mm -hmm. you got to be careful. Well, kind of to, to Joe's point, you know, we distribute our genuine Toyota and Lexus parts through our dealer network, and that's it. Those people substantiate the fact that that product is a genuine product. Things that are you know, maybe giveaways are that the part doesn't come in a genuine box or that the box is damaged or tattered looking, that the packaging is subpar and not what you would mm -hmm. maybe expect, that the part has additional flashing or just looks like poor quality. Are there any specific online platforms where you're finding these counterfeit parts? We find them where we look. Tina's out there looking right. every day. Independent websites also. Yeah. Um, so they're not particular about where they where they sell. Nope, they they like volume consumers. One thing we want to stress here is that a consumer who unknowingly buys a counterfeit part is not the criminal here. You're the victim. We want people who suspect that they bought a counterfeit part to report it so that we can figure out who the counterfeit sellers are. Consumers are the true victims here that the brand protection team and government agencies are trying to protect. Yes, we want to protect Toyota and Lexus' reputation for exceptional quality, but our overall goal is all about customers and making sure their vehicles are safely serviced with genuine Toyota and Lexus parts. And the only way to be sure of that is to go directly to the Toyota and Lexus dealer network for any service. And then how do you work with those platforms to remove them or, or do what you need to do to make sure our customers are safe? Yeah, good question. So that's a big part of, of what we do. We work through a uh, third-party vendor to basically comb the internet. And that includes, you know, independent websites and online marketplace listings to identify suspicious and potential counterfeit product. Mm -hmm. And then we evaluate that. So if we take a moment to kind of profile these counterfeiters, I mean, people are doing this in all sorts of markets, right? So why do you, why do you think that they're targeting auto parts? It's, if you're a counterfeiter, auto parts are a great product to get into. Why? Uh, for a couple of reasons. We have high dollar parts, mm -hmm. so a lot of margin on them, uh, opportunity to make money. Uh, high volume parts with our maintenance parts, uh, spark plugs, filters, mm -hmm. brake pads. Mm -hmm. And we have a global demand. 
So if you're a counterfeiter overseas, China or Hong Kong, where a vast majority of auto parts come from, counterfeit auto parts, you're not just making them for Toyota in North America. You're making them for Toyotas throughout the world. Do you think it's getting better or worse? I sense it's getting worse. But look, we get it. Sometimes you want an authentic aftermarket product, like when we talked to Metal Tech in our overlanding episode, something that you want to add to enhance your vehicle experience that didn't come with the original product when it was manufactured. Don't worry, the team is on it. I think a lot of people listening that are probably people who do stuff to their cars, right? They fix their cars, they want to change the do-it-yourselfers, as Kelsey mentioned. Is there a difference between counterfeit and aftermarket and the vendors there? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the difference for people? Well, so aftermarket companies are legitimate companies. Mm -hmm. They um, produce, they have a brand that they're also protecting. Mm -hmm. They're also oftentimes victims of counterfeit as Mm -hmm. well. And counterfeiters uh, don't necessarily do that, right? They, They don't uh, produced to any particular standard. Counterfeiters ignore all of that. If someone bought something that maybe they have and they're unsure of, like are there telltale signs by looking at you said the packaging, where it comes from? Yep, we've seen simple mistakes that we're starting to see less of, but misspelled words on a caution label, mm-hmm. misspelled words on a part number label, mm-hmm. misspelled words on the part itself, general poor quality, extra flashing, for instance, if it's a, per, a, a plastic part, if there's, you know, rough edges, things of that nature. Okay, so one, obviously, this is a whole movement and it, you guys work with, you work with the government, right, on on kind of managing this space, right? Correct. Okay, so tell us more. There is an Automotive Anti-Counterfeiting Council. A2C2, <laughs> to be it. exact. Yeah, oh, yes. Okay, so... Can you tell us a little bit about how that came together and what this group does? Sure. Like you had mentioned at the beginning of the program, this was, we started this group uh, about five years ago Mm -hmm. uh, within the service parts division. We quickly realized that all the other automakers had the same problem that we had. Yeah. Uh, So we started talking to them, our counterparts from Ford and GM and and, uh, the Japanese brands, Korean brands, and just started talking Mm -hmm. and just started saying, this is what we're doing. This is what we're seeing. This is the problem we have. There was a lot of apprehension at first on whether or not how much information to share with each other. But we slowly worked through that uh, just through conversations and building trust. Uh, And then lo and behold, we formed the A2C2, the Automotive Anti-Counterfeiting Council, uh, back in 2015. And basically, it's us, Toyota, and 10 other North American automakers. So it's about 95% of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get together uh, quarterly for face-to-face meetings. Um, a large part of our strategy here in the United States is working through A2C2. One of the primary objectives of the, of the group is building awareness. Mm-hmm. When you go through them as one voice, and we are the U.S. auto industry, and here's the problem that we're having, and here's where we need help, and here's how big we see the problem is, mm-hmm. then you're... you're you're more likely to get their attention and their support. And we have. Uh, the government's been great partners. Uh, they're, in a, they're in our meetings every quarter with us, um, representatives from Homeland Security and Customs. Uh, and we've been able to accomplish quite a bit by working through that model. Yeah, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention them by name. A lot of the 
support that we've gotten has been through the Intellectual Property Enforcement Coordination Center, Mm -hmm. uh, which is located in Crystal City, Virginia. And it's really a conglomeration of, I think they're up to 25 government agencies at this point. So all the folks that you want interested in your counterfeiting problem are accessible through uh, this resource. And so I think that's kind of where we came together and and really gained access uh, to some support that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't engaged through the IPR Center. Is it fascinating getting a peek under the tent of what the government does on this side? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Good. That's the answer I wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are. Joe's actually disappointed because today he was supposed to be preparing to support a search warrant action on a a suspect counterfeiter in a region of the country. And unfortunately, it's been postponed. And and that's a lot of what we find is you have to be nimble. You have to be ready to Mm -hmm. support um, you know, we've coined ourselves within A2C2 as uh, the committed and not the curious. Mm-hmm. So you can't take a case to law enforcement and then not be willing to really follow through when they need your help, for instance, yeah. in authenticating product, establishing knowledge uh, that someone knows that what they're doing is is not you know, on the up and up mm-hmm. and being willing to to go and support a search warrant action. Yeah, yeah. we need to get into this. Yeah. yeah. Our job, we feel, is to make the government's job as easy as possible. Yeah, yeah. like you've so, done the research. Yeah, so if you're a customs agent and you're stopping something that looks suspicious coming into the country, one of the hundreds of ports of entries, uh, and you need help verifying that, we want to be able to support them. And tell them this is genuine or this is fake. They should stop it and seize it. So uh, on the law enforcement side, when you guys get pulled into this, you know, the research has been done. They know where this person is. They know that they're going to approach them, for lack of a better term, just, you know. Engage them, if you will. yeah. Do some more uh, investigation. So do they do, is it like a stakeout? Like, are they watching? (laughs) What is happening? A lot of times, yes. So you're right. A lot of times law enforcement comes to us and says, I think this is a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? But a lot of times we work through our daily activities and we identify these these bad actors. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we engage them prior to ever contacting law enforcement. So we will send them a notice of of infringement saying, hey, you're abusing my trademark. Stop doing it. Uh, And they continue to do it. Yeah. So you gave them a chance. Right. And then a lot of times we'll do our own test purchases and we'll authenticate that what this person is selling is in fact counterfeit. Mm -hmm. And we package all of that up. And many times we work with our other A2C2 partners to say, hey, we found this person. Do you know this person? Mm -hmm. And they may say, yes, we're investigating this person. And so we pool all of that information that we have together and we present that case to law enforcement. And then they may take that uh, and investigate it. And their investigations are, you know, way more interesting than right. what we do, right? A lot of times they will do surveilled buys. Mm-hmm. So they may ask that, uh, you know, we support with a private investigator who actually does the buy and then they watch it happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So they see the actual transaction exchange of money, they just like you camera. see on TV. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's fascinating. They will watch 
people's homes. They will do things like controlled deliveries. So I know that, you know, this person has been put on notice by a brand. So we're going to maybe send that document uh, in a different form mm-hmm. and watch it be received by yeah, the person. Right. So they can't say, I didn't know I what didn't I was doing it, yeah. was yeah. wrong. Up to the point where we really get excited, which is they call us and say, hey, look, we've got a search warrant. We're going to go look at what this person has in their home or what they have in their business. Mm-hmm. And we need a brand or a couple of brands there to help us identify what we're looking at. Yeah, uh, And we're, you know, usually you get plenty of hand raisers, right? Right. Um, So we've been able to do that on a couple of occasions and it's quite fantastic. How many counterfeiters, like on average, are apprehended and convicted? What happens next? Not enough. Okay, we'll start with saying... (laughs) Is this like whack-a-mole at some point? That's a term that is common to the brand protection uh, industry. Uh, And so what we're trying to do is less whack-a-mole, right? By maximizing our resources and working together wherever we can. And where we're really striving to improve is, you know, finding the problem at the source, Mm -hmm. right? We know that uh, the majority of the counterfeit parts that we encounter are coming from, you know, China. Mm -hmm. And we can stop bad guys selling here on Mm -hmm. online marketplaces all day long. But until we really go backwards through that, you know, food chain, if you will, and stop where they're being manufactured, uh, we're just going to keep playing the game of whack-a-mole. So how do counterfeit parts impact our supply chain? We're pretty confident with our supply chain. Mm -hmm. We vet our suppliers. We audit them. uh, We have great relationships with them. So the product coming into our warehouses is genuine. Mm-hmm. And then that gets distributed around through our supply chains out to our dealers. So yeah. In, the, in that regard, we're extremely confident. What would be three things that you want the listeners to take away from this episode, from this conversation? You know, how can they how can they better prepare themselves? Mm-hmm. Increased awareness. That's, yeah. That's our message with with everyone, with with the public, uh, with the independent repair facilities, with the e-commerce platforms, with government agencies. Increase their awareness. If you if you don't know that this stuff exists, then you mm-hmm. don't have your radar up and you're not looking for it. But yeah. the more you're aware that this stuff is out there, the better you're able to defend yourself and start right. protecting so, yourself. So, yeah, it goes back to what we've already said, which is know the source of the parts that are going on your car. So if you're not doing it yourself, ask who is doing it. Where are you getting these parts? I want to see some documentation. I want to know that the parts came from a dealership or I want to know that the parts going on my car are a quality aftermarket part if Mm -hmm. I'm not using genuine parts. So know the source. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This was awesome. This is so interesting. I learned so much. Please take me. I'm in your next bus. Yeah. I'm fascinated. I'll stay home. <laughs> I'll need to see that. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. But like Joe and Tina said, the Toyota team gets help at the highest levels. So we leveled up our interview and went straight to Homeland Security. We had the chance to talk with John Ruttencutter, who's experienced with Homeland Security investigations. And we're so happy to have you today on this very interesting topic and your experience with the intellectual property protection team. Well, thank you for the invitation to uh, participate. Yeah. So let's just get started. Um, If you can say 
your first and last name, your title, and what agencies you've worked for. Yes, uh, my name is John Runcutter. I recently retired from Homeland Security in January of this year. Uh, prior to that, I started my federal service with the United States Air Force in 1988. And then in 1994, I joined the U.S. Customs Service. Uh, and then, of course, that became the Homeland Security after 9-11. Awesome. Okay, so I think that we're going, um, like when I ask you about like your chief duties and what's a normal day like, that would be the, the job that you most recently retired from. Well, my last eight years of my career, I was assigned to the National Intellectual Property Rights Center, which is located in Arlington, Virginia. Um, that center comprises of multiple agencies. Um, and as part of Homeland Security Investigations, I was assigned to the counterfeit unit looking after uh, all things counterfeit. Uh, my duties included processing counterfeit intelligence as it came to the center. I worked a lot with the industry representatives, and I provided guidance to field agents investigating counterfeit crimes. Okay, so what would be like a super exciting day in the life of on the counterfeit parts assignment? Well, I guess a great day at the office is when you had a piece of intelligence uh, that may have seemed like there was nothing at first glance. Uh, you take it to the team, and someone at that table recognizes the information that, that might be linked to a bigger operation or a bigger scheme. Uh, you work with the experts from industry. Uh, industry always adds more to the story uh, based on their experiences. Uh, that story is then provided uh, to the agents in the field. And then you work with the agents in the field for days and months and sometimes even a couple years. And the agents utilize their skills and investigative tools uh, to broaden that picture of what that scheme of counterfeits may be look, look like. Uh, that picture becomes clear. Uh, enforcement actions are planned, and the day at the great office, the good day at the office is when that enforcement action takes place. Um, search warrants and arrest warrants are executed, and everyone goes home safely. Uh, the criminal enterprise is disrupted and dismantled, and the harmful items are removed from the market. And then tomorrow you start a new case. Yeah. So just thinking, and obviously we're talking about counterfeit parts as it pertains to Toyota and Lexus, but when in your department, it, it kind of runs the gamut of the possibilities of different products. So I'm not sure what you're able to say or not, but can you give some examples of different investigations or, or products that come across your desk? Yeah, we, as part of the intelligence team, we've seen all types of commodities. Um, and then I would um, not only sort that to the other program managers assigned to the center who's working at pharmaceuticals or okay. we're in apparel or things of that nature. I was specifically tasked looking for things that had to do with automotive parts. Um, and you could find everything from uh, counterfeit tires to counterfeit rims to counterfeit airbags, uh, suspension systems, brakes, fuel systems, anything that's manufactured for automobile could, can be and was counterfeited. So uh, one of the cases that uh, you know we, we can highlight uh, that happened and you can find it uh, if you search counterfeit airbags out there, it's been uh, litigated to courts, is uh, a couple of suspects uh, decided to go in business, um, uh, not only being part of the manufacturing process, but importing and selling counterfeit air airbags to repair shops. Uh, that was quite interesting and um, a little scary at the same time. Right. The two individuals, they went as far as to travel uh, to the source country of China and meet with the manufacturers, describe what they wanted. Uh, then they arrange for the importations into the U.S. So just generally from the government's point of view, 
across all industries, what threats do counterfeit parts pose? Well, there's a, you know there's a threat besides the health and safety. Um, there's always the um, the impact of the U.S. economy, uh, and then what a lot of people don't talk about is yeah, the loss of jobs. Right. Um, you know, it, when you have regulations around a certain commodity, and, and even its car parts are highly regulated, and the manufacturers are mandated to put a lot of resources and make sure these parts work the right way when called upon uh, in an accident uh, or just when the cars go down the road. Counterfeiters don't have to meet those type of requirements. So the cost of, of creating or manufacturing a counterfeit part is a lot less. Uh, that difference in cost in the market can really affect the U.S. economy. Right. So how is automotive different as an overall category for counterfeiting versus other industries? Well, usually we look at it as consumers don't usually go out and look for a counterfeit auto part. And when you interview folks that are uh, walking the streets of New York and they walk up to a vendor that's selling maybe a counterfeit luxury good or a handbag, uh, they know that they're getting a knockoff or a counterfeit bag. Mm-hmm. And they're you know searching for that for the low price uh, because they want to be part of the fashion, I guess. Usually the consumer, when he takes his car to the to repair shop, he's not telling the mechanic to, to go out and purchase a counterfeit part. He's relying on that mechanic to buy a part that is cost-effective but will make the car work properly. And I guess when it comes to stopping counterfeiters or identifying counterfeiters, what are your most successful methods? I think the key that we've come up after years of investigating counterfeiters is, is consumer awareness. If we can get the consumers to stop uh, and really take into consideration what they're buying and what's behind that counterfeit auto part or what's behind that counterfeit handbag, uh, I think a lot of consumers which would not take that route if they knew there was more crimes involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, you know, you have the basic laws of manufacturing, selling, possessing of counterfeits, uh, and then the importation of contraband. Uh, but there's also, there could be crimes involved with, with forced child labor overseas, uh, you know, children being forced to make these, these items that are very, if, if paid at all, are very low wages. Uh, and then the monies that are derived from counterfeiting, which could be in the millions, could be used to fund other crimes, such as terrorism or narcotic smuggling, uh, even sex and human trafficking. Uh, folks that are human trafficked could be brought to the United States and then forced to sell uh, counterfeit items on the street to pay off their smuggling fees. Um, that, that has been seen. It has been uncovered. Oh, wow. That is not what I expected to, to hear. And I'm assuming throughout your career, you've been on some of these raids. Yes, I have. So are they like you see on TV or in the movies? Um, is it is it ever comical or is are they dangerous or what's it like? One of the misconceptions uh, is that uh, the investigation never is over in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it usually takes uh, a couple of years to put a, a counterfeiting case together and sometimes maybe longer. Uh, when you're out there and you're getting ready to do the operation, every raid or every search warrant, you, you can't be routine. There's a danger involved. Uh, the person behind that door, you just don't know how his day is going that day or or is he involved in other crimes that you don't know about. Right. You're there for a counterfeit crime, uh, which a lot of folks might think is like a white collar or a fraud crime, but that individual might be involved with human trafficking or sex trafficking. Um, so when the law enforcement knock on his door, his reaction to law enforcement might not be what's expected of someone who's just maybe selling counterfeit purses. Um, so you don't take any situation as a routine situation. There's always risk involved. 
Uh, now, once the the search warrant is executed and uh, the subjects are um, detained or mm-hmm. or even arrested, uh, in a in a situation is secure, you take a look around and and you 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 are amazed at the operation. Sometimes I've been there, and I the the amount of effort that goes into an operation, you think to yourself, if these sub- subjects would just put their mind into a good work environment, they would be very successful business people. Uh, And then you walk into a warehouse that is just, everything is everywhere. And you wonder how these folks actually fulfilled an order to begin with, let alone um, work with all the, you know, maybe their online marketplaces or their warehouse inventories or uh, working with the uh, shipments coming in from a foreign country, how they ever were successful. Uh, So I wouldn't say it's comical. It's, I guess it's eye-opening when you walk into a space uh, after uh, doing a raid and see the operation behind the scenes that you've been investigating for two years. When you guys show up, are they are they just kind of like, oh, you caught me? Are they expecting it? Yes, I think in in and I've been in law enforcement for thirty years. I found that you know when you're transparent with the subject and you're talking to them, uh, most of the time. Um, there is not a fight involved. Most of the time, it's is he puts his head down and just realizes he's been caught. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I have to say they're actually relieved that they got caught because they're constantly having to look over their shoulder and wondering who's knocking at the door. Um, so some, when we show up, they're not surprised. Usually, uh, they really would like to know how we found them, <laughs> how we got there, uh, but they're not really surprised that we're knocking on their door. So to be specific, when you obviously you go through a raid, what laws are being broken by counterfeiters? Like, what are they charged with? There's, you know, of course, you have the manufacturing of counterfeits. And you have the 18 USC 2320 charges. Uh, and then you have the importation charges, smuggling into the United States. Because uh, a lot of the merchandise comes in unmarked and, or maybe it's described as something that is not. When you look at some of the crimes they commit while they have to, on their distribution network, such as mailing the counterfeit items, or they have to use the internet to communicate and sell the counterfeit items, you have mail fraud and wire fraud. Uh, and then again, um, there's also there's usually other crimes involved when you get there, such as the child labor, or mm-hmm. you know that they're supporting other crimes, not just the counterfeit crimes. I tell my family, uh, you know, shop, you know, known sources, the, the stuff that might be cheap at the flea market might actually do more harm than good uh, and just be careful well thank you so much for talking to us today that was my pleasure thank you for the invitation well that's a wrap on our episode about counterfeit parts and brand protection thanks to our Toyota guests Joe Camiso and Tina Bohai and John Ruttencutter from Homeland Security to learn more about the Automotive Anti-Counterfeiting Council check out a2c2.com As always, shout out to producers Sharon Hong and Allison Powell, music by Wes Meixner, edited and mixed by Crate Media. If you haven't done it yet, please hit that subscribe button. Or better yet, leave us a comment or a rating. Thanks for listening. Bye.